And uh, this morning, the passage that was given to me is from Acts chapter 4, verses 13 to 20. But for the purposes of context, I'm going to be reading all of the fourth chapter of Acts. And in reality, uh, this whole story goes hand in hand with Acts chapter 3 and 4. It, dealings, it deals with the healing of a man who was lame from birth. Over 40 years, uh, we're told. And he was a fixture at the temple. The setting is the temple. And um, everyone would recognize him, maybe not talk to him, uh, but he was there and he was a regular with regards to begging. And um, on our 25th wedding anniversary, Kelly and I had the honor of going to uh, Jerusalem and uh, we visited uh, the Western Wall. And as you're going up to the Western Wall, uh, there was this man sitting uh, at the very base and he was on a chair and he, his leg was extended and you could come to the conclusion that he also was lame and he had his hand out. And um, I walked by, Kelly and I walked by and we made our way to the Wailing Wall and um, 15 or 20 minutes later I turned around and uh, there was a lull in, in, in terms of the crowd coming up to the wall. And he put his hand in his pocket and pulled out a stack of bills. <laughs> and there he was counting the bills one at a time. Now, he obviously hadn't heard Kenny Rogers' song, The Gambler. You never count your money at the table. But... Some of the, I'm actually surprised that you know the song because it's, it's way before your time. It's way before your time. But either way, uh, half of you didn't laugh, so I guess you don't listen to Kenny Rogers. But um, uh, so either way, so that's the imagery that came to me as we go through this passage. And uh, the major gift that the lame man has in this event, in, in uh, Acts chapter 3 and 4... And it's the story of Peter and John's showdown with the establishment. Peter and John's showdown with the establishment. So let's look at Acts chapter 4. I'll read it for you. And there's some key words that you will see over and over again. One key word is the word name. Notably the name of Jesus. You will also notice the Holy Spirit mentioned regularly you will also remark that the word boldness or courage depending on the version that you have also is repeated so starting at verse 1 of chapter 4 I begin the priests and the captain of the temple and the Pharisees came upon them greatly annoyed Greatly annoyed because they, being John and Peter, were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. I repeat, 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem 
with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I repeat, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness, and your version may use the word courage, of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, listen to this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, Rather to, to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the, signing, the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders, the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city... There were gathered and together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs of wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And then I'll just jump to verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, and in parentheses, which means son of encouragement, 
a Levite, a native Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that your spirit would seize each and every one of us and speak to us and encourage us and exhort us to be bold and courageous in the right way. We pray this in your beloved name and all those people said, amen. I'm going to ask you right now some tough questions. And you don't need to answer anyone, but you can answer yourself quietly. Do you consider yourself to be brave? Are you a person who by nature is bold? Are you courageous? Or are you a timid soul? The type of person that always kind of never says anything, backs down, is never looking for conflict. And now I'm going to be somewhat more precise with regards to your courage. When you, do, when you are brave, when you are bold, when you are courageous, is it for your self-interests? Does it have to do with protecting your pride? Or are you being bold and brave on behalf of someone else? Are you acting powerfully because of your convictions, of your deep-rooted convictions? And as a believer, as a believer, I will be even, I will fine-tune the question even further. Are you bold and brave and courageous for the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm not asking you whether you're an in-your-face type of person, and I'm not asking you whether you're someone who wants to engage in fisticuffs, I'm really asking the question, with all measure of gentleness and respect, are you the type of person who's going to put themselves out there for the Lord Jesus Christ? Or rather, would you just be quiet and not have anyone else think ill of you? Or not have or not to jeopardize your standing with your colleagues, your fellow students, or people that you long to be with? Tough questions this morning. You only need to answer that question for yourselves and for your maker. But I look at Peter and John. I look at Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 and 4, and you have the opportunity of reading chapter 3 and 4, and these are men that are on fire. And they're not on fire for their own pride and self-interest. They're on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to pause. I want you to pause, and we're going to rewind to when Peter after he was in the garden, and after these same characters, when I'm talking about characters, I'm talking about the chief rulers, the priests, had set upon them soldiers to arrest Jesus. By worldly standards, who was the most courageous guy? By worldly standards, who was the most courageous guy at that point in time? And arguably, by world standards, 
with regards to the entourage that Jesus had. Who was the boldest and bravest? The one who said, I will never deny you. I will die for you. I'm your guy. Who's the guy who pulled out his sword and sliced off a servant's ear right then? So by worldly standards, I can make a pretty strong case that within Jesus' entourage, he was the bravest, the boldest, and the most courageous. But when Jesus told him to put down his sword, and that if he wanted, that if he wanted, a whole legion of angels could come down and fight his battle. What happened to Peter from that moment on to the, de to the day of Pentecost? Peter was living in abject fear. Couldn't bring himself to recognize that he was a confidant and a close associate of Jesus when confronted in the courtyard. And after the crucifixion, all the apostles were in hiding. They wouldn't show their faces because they knew that they were next. So my question to you is this. What happened? What happened? And the crux of the message this morning for all of you is what happened and what, why is this important to me? I was here last on this very same platform on August 23rd. And I spoke to you, you may or may not remember, you may or may not be here. I spoke to you from uh, Mark chapter 11 verse 12 to Mark chapter 12 verse 12. And as fate may have it, and it's not fate, or as coincidence may have it, we have here, in, on August 23rd, it was Jesus in his last week in the, temple, in the temple taking on the rulers one by one. They came to challenge him. He had cleared the tables and they came on force the next morning and they came into his face and they challenged him. And his wisdom was such in his response to the question. Do you remember the question that was asked to him? The question was as follows. The chief priests and the rulers asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing this? Who do you think you are? And who made you the boss of us? You have no schooling, no affiliation, no training. You don't have the pedigree or the credentials to come here in the temple and tell us what to do. But Jesus shut them down. And Mark 12, 11, Jesus quotes scripture from Psalm 118 about the cornerstone that had been rejected became the stone that they rejected, excuse me, became the cornerstone. So why am I talking about this? Brothers and sisters, this story 
is a parallel story of what happened then. Except the protagonists are all the same, excuse me. So the guys who are challenging Jesus are the same people. They're the leaders and rulers, and they're even called by name. We're given the name of these guys for a specific reason. It's the same guys. The setting is the same. It's in the temple. Except our protagonist, did I say antagonist? Did I say that the other people? Okay, so the antagonists are the same. The setting is the same. But our protagonist or the people, the person who's being challenged goes from being Jesus to Peter and John, the same guys who ran for their lives and were totally and absolutely perplexed when Jesus allowed himself to be arrested and crucified. And here they are now on ground zero in the temple and they're answering the same question. They're answering the same question. The people from the Sanhedrin in public are asking Peter and John, by what authority or by what name are you doing this? And we find out later on in this passage, they didn't recognize them initially. All they knew is that there was a kerfuffle because Peter and John, using the name of Jesus Christ, had healed a man who had been lame for over 40 years. And by the way, in chapter 3, we're told that this ex-lame person, whose name is not given, is jumping up and down, walking, and he's clinging to Peter and John. He's clinging to them. And in this passage, the priests acknowledge we can't deny it. We can't deny it. Have you ever been in a position where your hand is in the cookie jar? And that's a metaphor for those who don't eat cookies. When you get caught red-handed and you're being challenged, and it is so obvious that the best thing to do is to say, yeah, I'm wrong. And the second best thing is not to say anything. And the worst thing is to lie and deny and justify. That's my favorite expression. Lie, deny, and justify. It's not what it looks like. It's exactly what it looks like. So here's this guy who's a fixture, who's a beggar, who's been there for a long, long time. And all of a sudden, he's jumping and praising God and, walk, and he's hanging on to Peter and James. So they can't lie, deny, or justify because the proof is in the pudding. He's right there. And by the way, what does Scripture tell us when Peter and John are acting in the name of Jesus of Nazareth? All of the establishment are greatly annoyed. I don't know what your version tells you, but they're angry, they're upset. <clears throat> Can we rewind a bit? The establishment is convinced that they've solved their Jesus problem. They went through great effort to have him arrested. They went to great effort to coerce Pontius Pilate 
maybe even at great expense, to have him crucified. And the crucifixion, the crucifixion was a public demonstration and event. They went to great effort to stage a public framing and to stage a murder. That's what it was. It was murder, pure and simple. It was the assassination of Jesus. They went to, and, and, they remembered that Jesus claimed during his lifetime that he would rise from the dead. And what did they do to make sure that that didn't happen? They paid people to guard. They approached Pilate and asked him, can we please set a special guard and seal the tomb so that none of his disciples can come and steal the body and claim that he is risen from the dead. They went to great efforts to suppress the Jesus problem. But they were not counting on the power of God and the Holy Spirit and the fact that they weren't only taking on Jesus, they were taking on God. And, God, and Jesus did rise from the dead. And Jesus' followers in the day, during the day of Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit. And these bewildered and perplexed followers of Jesus who really didn't have the big picture or weren't playing the long game were convinced that that was the end of fame and glory for them. It was the end, not only of fame and glory, but it was the end of their lives. And here they are, fast forward, same place, same antagonists, except what's changed. It's changed that it's no longer Jesus, but it's his followers. And his followers are supercharged with the Holy Spirit. They are not the same people. And we have the same showdown. The same showdown. By the way, people are being saved with at least 5,000 men. And there was a previous event where other people had been saved. So after this miracle, Peter and John are on fire and they're testifying for Jesus. They went from being weak and cowardly and timid to being extremely courageous and bold. And they were speaking in the name of Jesus. So we have the showdown. We have a new showdown. Same place, pretty much the same players, except that Jesus now has a proxy in the form of Peter and John, and we have a showdown. We have a showdown. And by the way, these Peter and John are the object of the same type of threats. I read previously that the chief priests were greatly annoyed. They were vexed. They were put out. That's probably gentle language for them being furious because their Jesus problem hadn't been solved. Their Jesus problem had gotten worse 
and kept getting worse. And what stopped them from really punishing Peter and John? Their fear of the people and their fear of the obvious. And even though the obvious was staring them in the face for a second time, the first time was Jesus. Everything he said came true. And now what Peter and James are doing is coming true. They're still in denial. And by the way, when they first look at them, says, who are these guys? They don't look like they got PhDs. They don't look as if they come from the right families. They don't, they're not part of the well-to-do establishment. These are uneducated, unschooled men. They're regular Joes. They may even have recognized their accents from Galilee. And then they said, wow, yeah, these are the guys that used to be with Jesus. And these are the guys that are taking us on right now and making us look bad. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. And by the way, they're fighting a losing battle. If you're taking on God, you're fighting a losing battle. If the world is taking on God, the world is fighting a losing battle. Brothers and sisters, it's a long game. It's the long game. Not by our standards, but by God's standards, a day is like a thousand years. In our standards, it's a long game. Every time there's, you will notice, every time there is oppression and persecution of the church, the church can't help but explode. I'm going to say something scary now. Maybe we could use a bit of persecution and repression. It goes against my instincts. But every time people try to squash the church, it takes a life of its own. You look at all the places in the world, in the globe, not so much in the West, but in all places of the world where people are doing their very best to eliminate to suppress the name of Jesus, to put to death Christians, it actually has the opposite effect. And sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder, we could use a bit more persecution, a bit more oppression, and in turn, we could show a bit more courage a bit more bravery, a bit more boldness, and not necessary for our personal self-interests, but to be bold and brave and courageous for the Lord Jesus Christ. I've established a setting. I've established the showdown. And these priests keep threatening these men Blah, blah, blah. We're going to do this to you. Blah, blah, blah. And if you don't do this, we're going to do that. The question of subordination comes up. Subordination means accepting authority. I'm familiar with insubordination. 
Insubordination is when you're always at the principal's office. Insubordination is when everyone is saying yes, you say no. When everyone's saying no, you say yes. Okay? The question is subordination. Let's look at verse 18. So they, being the rulers, they called them, that's Peter and John, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Here's the answer in verse 19. This is the takeaway this morning. At least one of the takeaways. If you're going to remember something, remember this. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather to God you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Speaking of what you've seen is heard is to bear testimony. I saw this and heard it firsthand. It's the best type of evidence. If you're going to have testimonial evidence in a court of law, the best type is not to have someone who says hearsay. I heard who told the second person, who told the third person. Because we know that by the time it gets to the seventh person, the whole thing is messed up. So these guys are saying, you know what? We can't help but articulate what we saw firsthand and what we saw and heard firsthand. And by the way, you want us to listen to you? But we're going to listen to God instead. So there. Pretty much that's what they're saying. So there. We will not be subordinate to you. We will be subordinate to God. And what did they do? They being the establishment. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. He was a fixture. He was a regular. And it was undeniable. Now, when you're confronted with the undeniable as a believer, are you still in denial? Or do you take the time to say, at least inaudibly and quietly to yourself, I was wrong. I was wrong. I repent. It's not me who's buzzing, by the way. I repent, and I want to change course. I was going that way, but now I would like to go somewhere else. Who is the source of power? Who makes the difference? It's the presence of God in the form of the Holy Spirit. We have this incredible resource here and here. Brothers and sisters, we need to harvest that resource, that powerful resources. The Holy Spirit is what made the difference for Peter and John. They were running scared and running for their lives to being bold and courageous. The theme this morning is about being bold and courageous. Not for myself, 
and my self-interests, but to be bold and courageous for Christ, for the name of God. And the prayer you can pray is the following. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I'm a rather timid fellow. I'm bashful. I'm weak. But I know that's not the way you want me to be with regards to spreading the good news. Would you make me courageous? Would you make me brave? Would you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can go forward and be a testimony of what I have seen and heard and what I've experienced? Who will you obey? This is a question for you. Who will you obey? The answer is God. Who will be the source of my courage and boldness? The answer is the Holy Spirit. What is the name? What is the name that I will depend on? Who is the cornerstone of my life? And the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Trinity working together. By the way, this passage about the stone that was rejected and became the cornerstone is also found in Mark 12, 22, I believe, which is the passage, which is the last verse that I spoke on, on August 23rd. And it's an important and recurring theme for Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, I believe, he talks about it. It's a fantastic visual. It's a fantastic visual as to what Christ does in the universe, in the world, and in my life. Christ holds everything together. Makes sure that nothing collapses. Whether we're talking about physics, or we're talking about spirituality, from the smallest particle to the universe, I believe and I have the firm conviction and in my life, Christ is the one who holds everything together, makes every, gives everything sense, and He is the cornerstone of our lives and of the universe. Praise be to His name. We should be a thankful people today. I know, I know life is tough. I have maybe a hundred people here, and I don't know how many people are listening. We all have our own particular circumstances, each and every one of us. Our stories may be different, but we were, we're told to give thanks in all circumstances. Let us give thanks. Let's give thanks. Instead of look, thinking, I'm a negative person by nature. God gave me a wonderful wife who's smiling all the time and who's actually pleasant all the time. And part of it may be genetics, part of it is the way I was raised. But my wife is sunny and happy. And whenever I find something bad, she always has a silver lining. We as believers have every reason in the world to look for the silver linings, so to speak. If we just pause long enough, and are quiet and let the Holy Spirit teach us to give thanks in all 
circumstances. In all circumstances. Let's pray. Father, you are magnificent. You are incomparable. And as we read this morning, even though the world does its very best to fight you, they're fighting a losing battle. I know you're playing the long game, and we know the way this ends. Notwithstanding the pitfalls and the stumbling and the obstacles, we know you're playing the long game, and we trust you. We trust you because the promises you've made to us through Jesus, you have honored and you continue to honor. We thank you for Jesus. We're a thankful people. We give thanks not only for our material, our material blessings, but our spiritual blessings. We want to give thanks for all of the people who've played such an important role in our lives in telling us about you and who've ministered to us and who teach us and who encourage us. Father, words fail us, but you know our hearts. We're sincere this morning. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'll leave you with this verse, the very, very last verse of this chapter. And we go into transition. We go from courage to encourage. Have you ever thought of that? Encourage. And guess who the encourager is? Sorry, I just dropped my paper. In verse 36, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the Apostle Barnabas, by the Apostles Barnabas, parenthesis, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the Apostles' feet. This is the exhortation. Become an encourager. Invest in other people. Lift them up. Build them up. Be kind. Don't yell at them. Don't remind them of all their failures. 